Hi, it's Morgan again. And today what I want to do is I want to read a little bit about what I've learned from Stuart Shanker, Dr. Stuart Shanker, about the reptilian brain, fight, flight, and freeze, and how important our ability to co-regulate is when we are with children, with adults, with our colleagues, with our family. And the reason that I want to share that is because as this world is shifting, and you might remember from last time's episode where I shared the kind of overwhelming news that we were heading back into the classroom in British Columbia, we have basically heard the message that yes, indeed, this is happening and that there is the very real possibility of full-time 100% quote-unquote normal looking school start September when we would normally be starting school for a brand new school year. Now naturally this brings a lot of anxiety for people, some excitement, some people are really excited about it, but I think for me it's a cautious optimism and also some elements of anxiety because how on earth will I be able to in my grade one class maintain the very important policy of physical distancing and so I think while I hold on to these emotions it's really really important to remember that as adults it will become our job to co-regulate a sense of calm within our students and we can really only do that if we put certain measures in place so that we truly do feel calm and that we truly do feel safe some of these measures are beyond our control And we want to put trust or we want to hope (laughs) that our government, the policymakers, and our school districts put those policies in place so that we feel safe in our workplace. And I think that a lot of that is beyond our control. What is in our control, however, is our ability to create a classroom atmosphere that feels safe and comfortable and breeds that feeling of belonging. And so how do we do that? I've been racking my brain trying to think about it, and I don't think I have the answers, but I want to talk about this fight-flight-freeze response, and then I want to give you a few tactical ideas for creating a sense of kindness and belonging in the classroom. So here we go. So when we imagine our evolution as a species, it's generally understood that the oldest part of our brain first evolved from the lizard or the reptilian brain. It's a combination of the cerebellum and the brainstem that's often referred to by Dr. Paul McLean as the brown brain. So you might have heard that before. And lizards are born alone and they live out solitary lives. So the mother lays eggs and approximately 245 days later, they are born a singleton and do not need to be nurtured to survive. Instead, they rely on primitive mechanism for dealing with threats in the environment, fight, flight, or freeze. And you might be wondering, why are we talking about lizards? Well, humans have inherited this brain through evolution. So when a child is triggered through some kind of perceived threat or triggered into fight, flight, or freeze, he or she is going into this pre-social, solitary state. It's a stress response. And I would like to wager that right now, just about everybody has had some element of that stress response. So essentially, that lizard brain is responsible for our basic survival and pain pain avoidance at all costs. And so when we are in this state, our capacity for higher order thinking, empathy, collaboration, 
and logical problem solving greatly decreases. In fact, our social emotional competence is hard to access at all. Most importantly, within the context of education, we are incapable of learning when we are in a triggered state of fight, flight, or freeze because of our preoccupation with survival. Fight, flight, and freeze have some pretty sneaky manifestations these days. And I talk about them quite a bit in my professional development workshops. And I learned a little bit about this from Dr. Shimmy Kang. It turns out that flight can look like tuning out, a Netflix, Netflix binge, addictive behaviors, pleasing type behaviors, overindulgence in video games, hiding under drawstring hoodies and broad brims hats, and that it might even present as perfectionism, which I am 100% guilty of. Kang suggested that the fight can be easier to recognize because we see it in anger and resentment, complaining, blaming, arguing, seeking conflict within our lives. And freeze is a little bit more subtle to identify than either flight or fight. And it kind of flies below the radar as a stress response in the classroom and often presents as procrastination or difficulty committing to decisions. So now our limbic system. So the first one was sort of this lizard brain. Now we move into our limbic system. So the architecture of our brain reflects that evolution of the mammal, um, the social creature, that has developed systems that supported its existence within a group. So this paleomammalian brain, this limbic brain, is made up of the amygdala, the hypothalamus, and the hippocampus. And it is responsible for the subconscious emotions like fear and joy. And it's actually like a gatekeeper or like a security guard that decides whether or not to launch that fight, flight, or freeze response. And mammals learn how to interact by watching their mothers and other members of the group. Mammals are raised by their mothers, and they learn through one another through modeling, mimicry, and neuroception. So neuroception is how our brain distinguishes between safe and dangerous situations and people. And we have kind of this internal scanner in order to stay safe. And we sort of evaluate who is a friend, who is a foe, am I safe, am I in danger? And if we encounter danger, we might send a signal to that reptilian brain, that first brain we talked about, that it needs to jump into action through that fight, flight, or freeze response. So humans are the exact same. And like I said, that neuroception is just a fancy word for an internal scanner. And our brains are always scanning. They're scanning facial expressions, vocal tones, other people's movements, uh, body language in an unconscious manner, and determining that level of security. And students in our classroom do this, and so do we. And sometimes, especially if we've had trauma in our lives, we can have an overactive or defective scanner. So in other words, our fight, flight, and freeze response, that toxic response, can be easily activated through really seemingly minor triggers, like even math activities or writing or anything that kind of gives you that feeling of being triggered or feeling unsafe. Uh, we also have children who on the flip side have difficulty determining what a dangerous situation is and sort of identifying whether someone is safe or unsafe and have difficulty sort of identifying unsafe adults, for example. So I want to talk a little bit about mirror neurons and contagiousness of our culture. So we learn by mirroring one another, 
literally. So we have these mirror neurons which enable us to learn from one another. And essentially our brains are designed to be wirelessly connected through these complex systems. So when someone experiences or expresses fear, we interpret their signal as though we ourselves are interpreting fear or experiencing fear. And this mechanism was effective for the group survival back in the caveman days, but these days it can have a really detrimental effect on culture. So, I mean, when you're feeling afraid at work, that feeling of fear and panic and even that paranoia can can transform the culture at your work. And that's where we have to be really careful as teachers. Because if we go in, and leaders, by the way, if we go in with a positive sense of what this new this new normal looks like, as much as we don't necessarily like it, as much as it goes against all the, the knowledge and the science that we have at our fingertips about what it means to be an impactful educator, how we learn in social groupings with hands-on manipulatives, it goes against all that we know. However, we do get to control the narrative. We do get to walk into that school space and say, it's not ideal, but we're going to have to adapt because at the core of all of this, is a group of children who will need us there for them. They will need us to create that sense of certainty and love and belonging for them because they might be missing it at home, but they also need to know that they're in a safe place when they come to us. They cannot be smelling the fear on us because they themselves will become fearful because of those those mirror neurons. And so now I want to just talk about that neocortex, our thinking brain. So we have this blue brain, this neocortex, that developed with the onset of humankind. And it is responsible for thinking, morality, deliberate motor control and body regulation, conscious decision making, learning, compassion, empathy, emotional regulation, language and communication, intuition and memory. And when we're threatened, that limbic brain basically sends a signal to that reptilian brain to override that thinking brain, the neocortex. And it makes us incapable of accessing all the amazing things that we're able to do when we're in an emotionally regulated state. Therefore, it's super, super important that we dedicate a lot of our day toward attempting to reach a place of, of emotional regulation. And like I mentioned last time, It's not realistic to be in a calm state all the time, but definitely it's a place that we want to shoot for because it makes us feel healthier and happier when we're in, when we're in those school environments. And so when I think about how we can do that, I think we need to be mindful about the things that trigger us. We need to be self-aware enough to name those difficult feelings when they come up for us. We need to be able to help our children uh, to do the same in our classrooms. And we also need to be looking out for one another and being kind and compassionate. So I put together a little document this week because actually, to be to be honest, I had a, a friend who lives in the Bahamas who provides childcare who was trying to to create a legacy for a little girl who was six years old who had died um, a year ago. And she said, it's really hard to do what I was planning, which was a, a week of kindness in her honor. Because this little girl, I guess, was known for her kind heart. And she reached out to me because she knows that I do a lot of kindness activities and said, Morgan, would you would you have any kindness activities that would be able to be used during this physically distant time? 
And I thought about it because it's been on my mind to create something. And so I just sat down last night and I just put it together because I thought, you know what, this little, this family of this little girl needs something like this. And I think honestly, we all do. And I want to share elements of that today. And if you go onto my website, I'm not trying to get your email. You know, honestly, there's a lot of that happening right now. But if you go onto my website for free on my blog, you're welcome to uh, the full document with all the links. And it's just smallactbigimpact.com and and take what you need. And it's free and you just have to download it. It's on Google Docs. So if you want it, feel free to have it. And you can just make a copy and then make it your own. Okay. Uh, But I want to share some of the ideas that I came up with. So it's structured into three different sections, seven ways to be kind to yourself, seven ways to be kind to others, and seven ways to be kind to the world. And I'm just going to list them because maybe there's one or two that you would like to implement within your online classroom, or maybe even if you're being told to come back into the classroom that you would like to implement within the classroom so that you can create a space full of love and belonging and a space that feels psychologically safe and a space that's filled with happiness and kindness. So the first idea for seven ways to be kind to yourself is listen to a calming podcast, meditate, or make a list of things that help you feel calm. And on the document, I put a link to a really awesome app called Peace Out for Kids. And it's a really lovely story-based app that, or pardon me, it's a podcast that takes kids through a very visual story and and basically calms them by the end. It's lovely. My second idea, do a seven-day gratitude challenge. Write down three good things from each day. And you can do this with a friend as well. I've talked about that on the podcast, but you can text them three good things from each day or even just one for seven days. And it's kind of a nice reflective practice. Number three, make a list of things that make you smile. Make it your mission to smile today. And I link a document where a family had put together a list of a hundred things that make them smile. And I thought, well, that's a pretty cool bucket list, a smile bucket list. Number four, have a dance party. Again, linked, I have a wonderful compilation of kid-friendly and, to be honest, not annoying songs for adults um, that you could have for a dance party. Number five, on a one-on-one inch one by one inch square of paper write down the names of three to five people who matter most to you and reach out to them this week this is something you could do on your own as an educator but you could also guide your students in doing the same I think we need to remember those who hold us right now number six write down or name three things that you're really good at and do one of those things number seven for seven ways to be kind to yourself Find a way to move your body outside in nature today. Lots of different ways to do that, obviously, but it's a good reminder that nature is such a healing force for all of us. The next section is called Seven Ways to Be Kind to to Others. And for this one, there are some really fun activities that you can do with students or you can send out to families to do, or you can even do yourself as an adult to just ground yourself again. So idea number one for being kind to others, write a kind email to someone or write them a letter. It can honestly take two minutes, but just expressing to someone what they mean to you is is lovely. And being on the receiving end of that is a lovely surprise and can be a real shift, can change the whole trajectory of a day. Number two, with chalk, write an encouraging note 
on the sidewalk or in your schoolyard. Number three, send five friendly check-in texts, videos, or messages to friends. Number four, call a friend, a family member, or someone else, maybe a neighbor, and tell them what they mean to you. Number five, sit outside on the sidewalk in a safe way and spend some time waving and smiling at people as they walk or drive by. It's just kind of a nice thing, especially if kids were to do this, for just to really lift people's spirits. I think people are feeling down right now, and I think just seeing smiling faces is really, really encouraging. Number six, record a special video for an elderly or immune-compromised person in your life. I think these people really need to know they're not alone, even though they probably feel deeply, deeply lonely, many of them. And number seven of seven ways to be kind to others, go out of your way to do something nice for someone that you live with. Quite often, we put a lot of energy into being kind to others around us, and we sort of forget our own little family. So maybe you want to give a little shoulder rub to someone in your household or go out of your way to bring them coffee in the morning or maybe you want to cook a meal that you know they love or if it's a child in your family maybe you want to do just a three-step mini scavenger hunt that is super low-key but just lights their day up with joy and surprise it doesn't have to cost any money and it can be something really easy that just reminds them how important they are to you and I think those things just create such important bonds and the third and final sort of bank of ideas for ways to be kind is ways to be kind to the world so I've got seven different ideas for that the first is one that my friend Sally Hallam came up with and it is such a beautiful website and I just have to encourage you to go and check this out so it's called connections and kindness and if you were to google that you would probably find it fairly easily but again you can go to my blog smallactbigimpact.com And it's part of the seven ways to be kind to the world. And it's my number one because I just think it's the most beautiful project. So you can learn about the kindness of trees. Sally is a kindergarten teacher and she launched this inquiry project a while ago and has developed it and adapted it. And it's just the most beautiful project. She does a beautiful write-up. And essentially she's taught her kindergarten kids and had this beautiful bridge program between the photography program in the local high school and her kindergarten kids. So they learned how to take pictures. Then they went out into nature and they took pictures of trees after having done a whole inquiry unit all about how kind trees are to one another. And if you look at the science of trees, they actually have roots that reach across to one another, whether they're dead or alive, and they support one another by, you know, creating sustenance and nourishment and water and trees lift each other up. And basically her whole unit was on how we can learn so much about kindness from trees. It's beautiful and there's an actionable way that you can get involved by taking pictures yourself with your child and contributing them to her website and on Twitter. So I encourage you to take a look at that because it's a beautiful practice. Number two, seven ways to be kind to the world. Find a way to support a local business. This has been super joyful and kind of kind of like a ray of sunshine in all of this I think our local businesses are often competing against big box companies and to be able to support and feel good about spending maybe less overall but more toward those those items that are created by local artisans and 
creatives is just really, really encouraging. And so, for example, I have these candles that I absolutely love to burn. I'm actually burning one right now. And it's by uh, it's by Jody's Naturals. And it's just a local company in Victoria. But she has the most beautiful smells in there uh, to her candles. And they're soy-based. And I know I sound like an ad right now, but I'm not. we're not affiliated at all. But they're just so delicious and so... It just feels like self-care when I light them. And that's what it's become. It's been kind of, in all of this, it's become sort of a ritual of self-care. So she is one of those companies that I like to support. And she's a local company. So maybe you have a local company that you want to support. Idea number three for ways to be kind to the world. Help your local environment by removing some invasive plant species. So this is actually pretty easy. You can just go on a local uh, parks website and probably find out which plants in your local area are invasive. And then oftentimes they have programs that encourage you to remove the plants. And so you know that you're doing something good for the world while you're spending time outside. Number four, make a video or a poster reminding people how they can stay safe during the COVID-19 pandemic. So maybe you want to do something fun just to remind your own children maybe the importance of hand washing and have them explain to you how to do it and videotape them while they're doing it. And it just, I think it's a new way and and a deeper way to solidify that understanding. Number five, raise money for a local animal shelter. We know that a lot of these nonprofits are struggling right now, whether they're to do with animals or people, but to be able to raise money through a number of different ways to be able to contribute to the well-being of animals is just a wonderful thing. And to include your kids in brainstorming ways that you might be able to raise that money would be really exciting. And it also ties into financial literacy. So really, it is a connection to that that learning as well. Number six, set up a drive-by free joke stand. In Saanich on Vancouver Island, there was a little boy who did that. I think he was seven years old and he brought smiles to his neighborhood and I just think it was the most lovely thing. And so, I mean, there's different ways that we can bring joy to people around us, but maybe doing a joke stand is a way to start or even a jokes YouTube video. Lots of different ways to bring joy. And finally, a fun craft Number seven, make a bird feeder out of recycled items. You, There are so many different ways to do this. You can use bottles and fill them with seeds. You can use toilet paper rolls and cover them with peanut butter and put seeds on top. There are so many different ways, so many ingenious ways of helping the world. And all it takes is just the willingness to do so. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I do have two interviews that are from educational leaders that are in the bank so don't worry it's not the end of interviews I just thought it would be helpful to have a calm voice in all of this hopefully a little bit of guidance and some ideas I certainly don't have all the ideas and I don't have all the answers but what I do know is we need to collaborate and we need to be positive and we need to find that thread of innovation that helps us bring the best of ourselves to this really really difficult situation so I hope you can take care of your families. I hope that you can stay safe. And I hope that in all of this, we can remember the thread of kindness and the fact that we are all connected. Thank you so much for listening. Take care.